the older folks in the community I grew up in had a way of getting right down to the needed information when they met somebody new. Met somebody new at the local store, or met somebody new in church, and they would ask this question, and they would ask it this way. Now, who do you belong to? You ever heard anybody ask that? Like that? Now, who do you belong to? And the answer to that question would often give them an, an idea of who they were for real, like who their their parents were and give them an idea of their background and their upbringing. And they would say things like, well, you come from good stock. And I always thought to myself, if they met someone that they had a distaste for, what would they say? And usually I guess they would say something like, well, it's nice to meet you. We're glad you're here, right? <laughs> Ephesians 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 30, as we finish out our series on change, Ephesians 4, verse 30 says, and do not bring sorrow to God's spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. For those who have turned from sin and turned to God, confessing their faith that Jesus is Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God has sealed that deal. The Holy Spirit of God, according to the Bible, has identified you as his own. This means when you become a Christian, you belong to God. And there is no greater stock than that. Amen? Another translation says, the Holy Spirit of God has put his seal on you. Now, it's Bible study time in here today. So be discipled through the Word of God as we study the Holy Spirit, because the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God has put his seal on you meaning a mark of identity or ownership on those who believe. Well, what kind of mark is this? Or what kind of, of seal is this? Are we talking like a seal or a stamp over an envelope? Well, don't begin to, if you are a Christian, don't begin to look all over your body for the initials of God. That's not the kind of seal or stamp we are speaking of. It's more about the characteristics of God in your life and on your heart. Think of identity belonging to God like we think of as a child belonging to a parent. The child belongs to the parent and their life is filled by the presence of the parent. Their time is spent with the parent. There is a close connection with those that they are born from. And because of this, the child looks like, talks like, acts like, walks like the parents that they belong to. Some of your children, before I ever met you, I knew who they belonged to. Because they look like you, their mannerisms, their makeup is just like you, and they are marked by you. You belong to them, and they identify with you. Now, you may have heard this before, but when we trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and the security of our eternal life, when we trust in Jesus as God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, which is to make a way for us in the heaven, that means, according to the Scripture, that we are born again. And then we are called children of God. And because we are, our lives are filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit of God for time spent and close connection with the Father. 
And it's just as a child is to a parent. We are daily exposed through the presence of the Holy Spirit to God's conviction, challenge, change, and guidance. Which means as we are in Christ and belong to God, our language, our love, our work, our hands, our ways, our mannerisms, our makeup, they all begin to reflect who we belong to. The Spirit of God identifies us as His own. We belong to God and we begin to look like it. You see, this is a relationship mark. Not a literal seal or stamp. This stamp is also the guarantee of our salvation. Like it's not a maybe or if or a 75%. It's a 100% done deal for those who are in Christ. It is a guarantee, a blessed assurance of your salvation. Now, if you've not thought of that recently, think about it again. And how good that is that God the Father would not want you to worry whether or not you're going to heaven. That God wants you to know that you are in Christ and know that you will bust heaven wide open for sure because of His grace and mercy. And if you've reached this conclusion, and I'm not so distant-minded as to think that we have a crowd full of folks in here today, and I would think whether between 8 and 80, you may have reached your own conclusion that good people go to heaven and that's what it takes. That if you're just good enough, and, and if you can just be a good person, and we can have the good outweigh the bad, that we can make it into heaven based on our good works. This is not an uncommon philosophy. It's not an uncommon thought. And more than likely, if you're here today and you're learning, or maybe you just bring this attitude of I already know it, over and above what you say. That if you think to yourself that if every good person that you know is going to make it into heaven, well, every good person you know has made bad decisions. From the pastor to the prisoner, we've all got sin. So the best people that you know have made bad decisions. Let me ask you a question. Where is the guarantee in that? You see, that's not a, that's not a I know so, that's a hope so. Well, what, well, tell me about his eternity. Well, I hope he made it in. He was a good guy. Well, that also means that part of him was a bad guy. So that there's, no, there's no guarantee in that. When my sister and I go to our childhood home that we grew up in where my parents live, and we drive down towards West Limestone on into Clements, when we get to their house, do you know what we do? We don't knock. We don't seek permission. We go straight on into the house. Do you know why we do that? Because we belong to them. We identify with them. They are ours and we are theirs. It's not because we hope when we get to the door of their house, we hope we've been good enough so we can get in. We're not hoping that when we get there, man, I, I sure hope they're going to let us in because we've had a, a pretty good week. No, we go on in because we belong to them. We were born from them. We are their children. And so we have access to where they are because we are identified by them. Are you sure? Are you sure you can just go on in? Well, we got a birth certificate to prove it. But more than that, we've got their characteristics. Our lives resemble theirs. We have the same values. We have an ongoing, right and real relationship with them. And because of that, it's a guarantee that we can just turn the handle and go on in. Well, what if it's locked? We know where the key is. Because we belong to them. Now I want you to think, this is real serious stuff here this morning. How do you know that you are saved? How do you know that you are right with God? That when you take your final breath, 
and stand before the judgment of God that he will clear you and let you into his heaven in eternal fellowship with him. That's a big deal. How do we know that? How do we know it for sure? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, those who do not have the Spirit of God living in them do not belong to him at all. Again, in Ephesians chapter 4, remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. It's a guarantee for those who have the Spirit of God living with him. That is how you know you are right with God. I've even told people before that if you are dealing with sin and there is a conviction and you're returning to God, part of that is you absolutely need to quit what it is you're doing and start doing the holy thing God wants you to do. But another part you need to know is, is good for you because that's a guarantee you are saved. You're a child of God and God won't even let you act like you want to. Because you belong to him. So how do you know that you're saved? Let's settle it. I mean, just settle it this morning. Listen, if, if you've come in here today knowing that you sit in here day after day, Sunday after Sunday, God convicts you of sin, you have the question in your life, do I really have salvation? Please stop thinking the thought of, I can't do this now. I'm at this age. I can't do this now. What will people think? How will people be inspired by that? Think that. How will people be encouraged that someone who has dealt with this for so long has finally listened to the truth that God is bubbling up in their heart, that they need a right, real relationship with God that they've never had, but they know that they need? So settle it today. Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life this day? Well, how do I know that? How do I know exactly if the Spirit of God is in me? I'm about to ask you a series of questions, and I don't think there's any more important questions you'll ever be asked. So listen and process and think. And I would even say this, you know what? Some of these this way, some of these this way. I need to work these out. Great. Go back and watch this, and then go over these questions with somebody that you trust that can guide you through them. Listen to this. First of all, are you convicted of sin and of God's righteousness? Is there a certain conviction of sin? Not according to what you say is sin, but what God says is sin. And are you convinced of the righteousness of God? The reason I ask that first is because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts the world of his sin and of the righteousness of God and our need for God. Is your will bent towards the will of God? Is your will bent towards the will of God? That you know you are in this life, but it's not your own. And there's a will of God that is over and above yours. Do you recognize your need for God? In your heart and mind, are you reminded of God's truth? The Holy Spirit of God guides one into all truth. He makes truth plain and he reminds me of what the scripture says when I told the line of sin and obedience. Is there a reminder of truth in your mind? Are you guided towards caring about and sharing the gospel with others? The scripture says that the Spirit of God led, led him to the Ethiopian eunuch. The servant of God led him to somebody who was lost. Is God drawing you, leading you towards, towards ministering to somebody else or witnessing to somebody else so that they also may have heaven? Are your eyes open to the glory and the goodness of God in the gospel? It ought to be a big deal for those who are in Christ. You understand what we mean when we talk about the glory of God and the goodness of God and, and, and the goodness of the gospel, that it is good news that God desires to save. Did you, did you hear those questions? Because those questions are probably the most important questions you'll ever be asked. 
If, if we know that we are saved because the Holy Spirit lives within us, how do we know that? You have to see if the Holy Spirit of God is working and living in you towards the ends that God says according to his word. According to the Bible, John chapter 16, verse 13, the Bible says, the Spirit tells the world the truth. He guides into all truth. What is the truth that God's Spirit is speaking to your heart this morning? What is the truth that is being told to your life? Is it that the Spirit of God is drawing you closer into a relationship that you know that you have, but maybe you're a guilty distance from God? Is the Spirit of God drawing you back into the relationship that you've had since you were a kid or a teenager where you confessed your sin and your faith in Jesus Christ? Or is God's Spirit drawing you to a place of decision and into a relationship that, if you're honest, you've never had before? It's one or the other. It's a closer walk with thee or a new relationship with God. And because the Spirit of God guides to the truth, you just have to be honest. You just have to be honest about it. When, when we ask these questions, sometimes people say, well, I grew up in church and I went to so-and-so church. I didn't want to ask you. But my granddad's a preacher. Great. Good for him. Awesome. Not what I asked you. These, these have nothing to do with the questions that I just asked. Is God's Spirit living and working inside of you towards the ends of God's glory and the good of man? So rather than convincing yourself of a relationship that is really not there, just respond to the truth. Surrender. As a teenager that, that stood before you, that's not an easy thing to do, that say, I'm a sinner and I need God and want to be saved. And then he's baptized. That's not an easy thing to do. But the truth, he would be lying to himself if he denied that. So surrender to the truth that God is bringing about. And let's not, in the Scripture, let's not pass by this word redemption. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. That word redemption was used by the Apostle Paul in the context of slavery. When Roman slaves were put up for sale, there was a purchaser who would pay the price to set that slave free. And that would make the purchaser the redeemer and the former slave the redeemed. Jesus is the only one with the resources to pay off the debt of sin that you have and that enslaves you. Jesus is the way that God has made. The perfect Son of God laid down His life and shed His blood and gave up His divine privilege so that you and I, according to the resources of God, could experience right standing with God and eternal life. The only way that God has made for us to make heaven, miss hell, and have a purpose-filled life is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. You will not find any other way according to this Bible. And if you belong to Jesus, Christians, Jesus has the rights to you. We belong to him. He is our redeemer and we are the redeemed. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. And not for the years of time alone, but what? But for eternity. But for eternity, I belong to Jesus. And one may ask about that when you hear that. What about me? Can I be redeemed as well? I don't know all that you're talking about, but I know that I need a redeemer and I want to be redeemed. 
I know that I'm a slave to myself and a slave to my sin. When I hear this, can I be free from the penalty and the power of sin? Can I be forgiven of all the things that I've done that you don't know about? That I shudder to think that I would share with someone? Can I be forgiven of all this sin that I know is mounting up in my life? Listen to the good news today. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 12, But to all who would believe Him and accept Him, He gave the right to become children of God. So what does that mean? That means the answer to that question is yes, you can. Yes, you can be a child of God. Yes, you can be forgiven of your sin. Yes, even you. Yes, even for those things that you've thought about and those things that you've carried out. Yes, you can be forgiven. For those who would believe Him and accept Him, no, we don't deserve it, but He gives us the right to become children of God. And that's good news. It's good news worth telling. It's good news worth sharing. Now, follower of Jesus... It is within this knowledge of the goodness of God. It is within the knowledge of His presence, the knowledge of His guarantee. Lord, keep my mind on track and keep all of our heads focused on the goodness of you today in Jesus' name. It is with this knowledge of the goodness of God, His presence, His guarantee, His redemption, that we remind ourselves what the Scripture says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Look back again at verse 30. And do not bring sorrow, do not grieve God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Don't grieve the one that is guaranteeing. Don't sorrow the one who is the sealer. We are in a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. Now take on that theology and if you don't know what all that means, study it. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. Same essence, different function. And as a person, the Holy Spirit has a personality. And what that means is that he has emotion or the ability to respond to something. And the Bible says that when we belong to God and we are given a new nature, but when we gravitate back towards that old nature and knowingly sin by the things that we've talked about for weeks, by lying, by lashing out in anger, by stealing, by using foul language, the response of the Holy Spirit is sorrow, grief. Like, we've actually grieved the heart of God when those who have been forgiven of sin pick it back up. The reason that God grieves is because He cares. That's why it it hurts the heart of the, the Holy Spirit. It's been said that grief is a combination between anger and love. And together, this combination leads not to being violent and it leads not to being passive. It leads to grief. Yes, God grieves because He cares. And while God has the power to take us out when we sin, He loves. And while God has the patience to let us get by, He angers. So this is what it's like when you're in a relationship with someone who is devoted to you. That when you wrong them or make a mishap or a mistake or you mistreat or mishandle their relationship, they don't take you out because of sin. 
And they don't just let you do whatever you want to because of sin. But they are grieved. Because you've hurt their heart and they care for you. One trusted theologian said this. Please don't miss this. He said, I see the Spirit of God grieving when you are sitting down to read a novel and there is your Bible unread. You have no time for prayer, but the Spirit sees you very active about worldly things. Having many hours to spare for relaxation and amusement. And then he is grieved because he sees that you love worldly things better than you love him. Y'all, the question is, as God grieves because a Christian sins, do we even care? Do we even care? Does that move our heart? If it does, we need to make an apology. Seriously. That, that should be the response. James chapter 4 verse 9 says, Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Church, when we get to the invitation today and our worship pastor stands before you and he leads you in a song of response, as the people of God group together today, as God has put us together this morning to reflect his glory in the community and in our families, as we are to be used for God, for the blessings and purposes of God. If we in here have brought sorrow to our Savior later or lately or even today, let us fill this sanctuary once that music starts playing, not with praise and not with prayer requests, but with apologies. Apologies. Sometimes the response needs to be from God's people we recognize who we are not and how we've missed the mark. And before we open our mouth to sing, we need to say that we're sorry. I don't understand why we have such a resistance from the altar. And the reason I say that is because we all know who we all are. Starting with me. Why is it that we stay away from a head bowed and eyes closed and hoping that nobody thinks or sees or knows? We all know anyway. We already know who we are. We know that we are capable of things that would, we would not want to share with anyone. We know that we all need the grace and the mercy of God. And so when we step out of bounds and willfully sin, we need to bring an apology to the Holy Spirit of God, the one that seals our eternity. And guarantees heaven. Why? To restore fellowship. To restore fellowship. In your families, in your, in your work relationships, in your friendships. When you've, when you've hurt somebody's feelings that you know cares for you, what should you do? You should make an apology. It's the same way here because the Holy Spirit of God is a person. Proverbs 28, 13. People who conceal their sins do not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Sometimes we're too quick to dismiss our sin by the grace of God. Before we've ever told Him we're sorry, we embrace the truth that we'll be forgiven. He's a person. Go to Him with an apology. We cannot grieve the Spirit away. 
We cannot distance ourselves from our sin and make God go away because we belong to Him. But to carry on as normal when we knowingly choose sin over submission will affect our relationship. You see, the reason why we deal with these things is there's no thought of witnessing. There's no thought of missions. There's no thought of discipleship. There's no thought of leadership if we continuously live in this old nature that God has freed us from and forgiven us of. And when we've made an apology, it's time, according to the Scripture, to make an exchange. This continued change from the old nature to the new nature, it's still January. So the resolutions need to move from what God is working on already, from that old nature of sin to a new nature of obedience. Verse 31 says, get rid of, and verse 32 says, instead. So there's a change of direction. Look right there in verse 31. Get rid of. Of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Here, what Scripture is teaching is to get rid of all the emotional things that you deal with that are just precursors to sin. Get rid of all of those things, those attitudes, those emotions Because what God's Word is teaching us, those attitudes and emotions of sin are just as offensive to God as those actions of sin. Now, what I mean by that is you may not come after your spouse with a knife. But if you harbor resentment, a smoldering resentment in your heart, the Bible calls you out in this verse just as much as it would if you went after him with a knife. Woo! Now we're dealing with something now, aren't we? Or if you see someone in Publix when you leave here today or wherever you shop, that's not an endorsement. I know there's Walmart. Brother Dusty used to use Walmart a lot. So Publix or Aldi's, whatever you think. If you go there and you see somebody that you do not care for with a grocery cart, you may not walk up to them and slam down your milk and throw their cart over. But what if you just grab your phone and you start texting your friends or your loved ones and you say, guess who I saw in Publix? You know who? I can't stand them. And you make all these emoji faces that have got the fire and all that kind of stuff. God's word is calling out the same as if you flip the card over. Read it again. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as all types of evil, as well as all types of evil behavior. Teenagers, college kids, this is 8 to 80. If we see somebody and we see someone and we're like, oh, I hate them. Yeah, that's not good. Not good. That's old nature stuff. And God is moving us from the old nature to the new nature by the work of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit convicts us of what is seen and what is not seen. What is active and what is emotion. But it's not for the sake of conviction only, just so that we can say we are sorry. It is for the sake of change. It's for the sake that you take on the new nature and and get rid of the old nature. What I'm saying to you is that's not okay. It's not okay for Christians to act like that because the Bible then gives us a change of direction. The Bible says, instead, be kind to each other. Be kind to each other. Instead of harsh words, instead of malicious desire and intent, be kind to each other. 
Kindness looks like withholding words. It looks like holding things back that you want to say and you don't and you kill it and you let it be. Kindness looks like serving the undeserving. I'm going to say that one again for all the married folks in here. Kindness looks like serving the undeserving. For all the folks that have been in church for a long time and you got to know each other really, really well, kindness looks like serving the undeserving. And then the scripture calls for forgiveness. Instead of bitterness, forgive. Let them off the hook. Let it go. The new nature has new practices because he is a new Lord over your life. So the old man is gone and the new has come. The old nature's out, the new nature's in. Listen, I want to speak to you a word on forgiveness just for a moment. They may not deserve it, but you owe it. Because you don't deserve it and he gave it. They may not deserve it, but you owe it because you don't deserve it and he gave it. We forgive not just for their sake. We forgive not just for our sake so that frees us up from bitterness. But we forgive for Jesus' sake. Because he said to. Because he gave it. Because he demonstrated it. And if you're thinking today, and, and seriously, I don't know everything that's going on in your life, but some of you may be thinking, how do I do that? How do I actually accomplish forgiveness for someone that does not deserve it. It's easier than just talking about it. I've got to be about it. How do I do that? Let me help you get started because this will help. Think of the few times they have sorely offended you. And then think of the hundreds of times that you've offended God. When you do that and know that God still selflessly and with undeserved kindness forgives you, if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to be a forgiver. How do I do every day you do that? Every time it comes to your mind, every moment it comes to your mind, you surrender that thought to a new nature kind of way of forgiveness. This is the change that God is working up within those who are His. Finally, God's Word tells us that if we want to make a change that matters in our life, then we should take our lives... And this is a summary statement for the entire month. If we want to make a change that matters according to God, we just take our lives and make it a copy of God. That's it. Just copy God with our life. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Imitate God, therefore. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Because you are His dear children. Because you belong to Him. I would challenge you this week to keep reading. And see what that looks like specifically and seriously above the surface, below the surface. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. I heard the following quote on a TV show once. A character said, I don't make copies, I make originals. If anybody knows where that's from, I'll give you a piece of candy after the service. I don't make copies, I make originals. And this is today's mindset for a lot of folks. I don't make copies, I make originals. I've got to do something that makes a mark with my image or with my reputation that will garner followers, likes, friends in my life and on social media. I've got to make my mark before I leave this world or before I get too old or before I do all of this. Let me tell you something. A real and true showstopper in this world would just be to copy God on everything that he does. Just be to imitate your Lord and Savior Jesus, because the only true original 
is the one that is truly righteous and holy. Now, take a look at this last high-budget prop. You may remember the caps a few weeks ago. This is relative to that. We spend a lot of money in budgeting for our props here. So take a look at this high-budget prop. This is an original. This is an original. There is, is none like it. This is one of a kind, right? This is a copy. It's not the original, but it sure does look like it. And you got to look really hard to find why it's not an original. But I know that this is the original, and I put this in the copy machine and made a copy. Original, copy. Church, this is what an imitation really looks like. Just like that. Now, this is the original. This is one of a kind. This is completely different. You see this? This is completely different. So I want you to get this image because one claim that the copy is original, but let's be honest, you can claim that this one is a copy of this one, but you're lying. You're lying to yourself and others know that you're lying already. This is not the same thing as this. This is not even associated with this. So listen, the Bible says our sin will find us out. And all of that I'm about to read to you is only from 1 John, just 1 John. Scripture says, if we claim to have no sin, then we're calling God a liar. Oh, I'm, I'm getting into heaven, man. I'm right with God. I pray to God all the time. I know that I'm going to bust heaven wide open. You're calling God a lie. This is not the same thing. It's not a copy no matter what you call it. The Bible says if we claim that we know God but don't obey His commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. We're lying. To who? To ourselves. It, how can we have a relationship with God but be so distant from God but yet still claim salvation? Scripture goes on to say in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, if you say you love God but you hate another believer, you know what it calls you? You a lie. You're lying to yourself and to others. You see, all of these are just from one book of the Bible. If our lives look nothing like the original and is far from it, we lie to ourselves to say that we have imitated Christ or copied God or to say that we would experience heaven with him. We're just lying to ourselves. Now, there's one more. This is an original. This is one of a kind. And this is a copy too. And it's enough of the original that we're like, I see it, but it's different. And so because it's different, you know what it is? Questionable. It's questionable. The questions, if you continue to have dark corners in your life, if we continue to have this sin that we hold on to and won't turn it down, if we continue to harbor resentment and attitudes that smolder, if we continue to do those things, what's going to happen between Satan and you is he's going to use these black marks 
and shades and all that to cause you to question your salvation. Wherever there is sin, there is a separation. And wherever there is a sin, there is a question of your salvation. So as you think about these and think about which one applies to us, you should know that even as we talk about this, every Christian sins but doesn't have to. And every Christian is not sanctified overnight, thank God Almighty. And there's grace for those times. There is grace and mercies. We sang about it today. The mercies of God are new every morning, and thank God Almighty for that. But if we don't preach the word and tell the expectation that God has for us, what happens is we'll have an uneducated mind, we're going to have a stiff neck, and our heart will continue to be hardened, and then we will question the saving work that God has done in our life, and so will everybody else. And then what happens next is we go closer and closer to this, which is not even close to what God has called us to. So church, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, put on the new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy every single day. I want to close with just this invitation of question. Do you belong to God? Now, I'm, don't wait a minute. Don't move yet. Don't get up and leave. And, and oftentimes people leave during the invitation. You've got to, and that's fine, and please do it quietly. But right now... Please listen. And if you're saved and you know it, just go on and start praying now. I'm asking you an eternal life or death question. Do you belong to God? Is the Holy Spirit of God active and working in your life? Can you think of a time where a line was drawn in the sand, where you confessed your sin before God and called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved? Has God's Spirit been working in you actively towards change? Is there a conviction of sin? Is there a longing for God on the inside? These are the questions that you've got to leave with and answer today. If we have sinned knowingly, we need to make apologies. If we've already made apologies, we've got to make an exchange. And if we are in the new nature, we've got to start making a copy of God so that we will not question our own salvation. I want everybody right now just to close your eyes, bow your heads. If you are not sure of your salvation, and there's a lot of questioning going back and forth on what's going on inside your heart and mind, if today is the first time that you have ever heard the gospel clearly towards knowing that you can be forgiven of all that you've done, and that your life can be changed from an old nature of sin to a new nature of forgiveness. The scripture says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If, that, if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So right now in the quietness of this moment, the best way you know how, confess your sin to God and confess your faith in Christ. Admit that you are a sinner. Admit to God what He already knows and what you already know. Call upon the Lord now to be saved. If in this moment we have grieved the heart of God, before we ever open our mouth to sing, let's make an apology. Tell God what he already knows and what he 
is grieving from. Please feel comfortable to bow your heads and make your pew an altar, to come to this altar. You don't have to. There is something special about getting on your knees before God, not before people. Otherwise, you turn the other way around as we kneel before God. It's time for us to make an exchange if we are in Christ. Old nature to new nature. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your constant care and draw to bring people into a right relationship with you. I pray today in the name of Jesus that grown men would come into a right relationship with you. That women who are grown, it's assumed that they have salvation, that those women now would draw a line in the sand, call on your name to be saved. Children and teenagers are saying, God, we ask, knowing that your spirit is at work, we ask, O oh Lord, that people would call on you to be saved today and that your church would keep the feelings of the Spirit of God in mind and heart. God, forgive me for where I step out of line. All this begins with me, Lord. To preach it is the easy part. To take it home and live it is the more difficult part. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. So for all of us, Lord, right now in this time of response, I pray, God, in a pure heart and honest heart, we would respond to you for however you are leading us. Lord, if you would lead us to join the church, if you would lead us to be baptized, if you would lead us to be obedient, or Lord, if you are drawing us to salvation, that we would be saved today. We love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? I want you to know we have pastors here. If you called on the Lord to save you today, don't keep that to yourself. Let us help you through that. Let us help you through the next steps. All you've got to do, if, even if you've got questions, all you've got to do is walk this aisle, grab me by the hand. or Brother Randy, you can just tell us, I need to be saved. Or I called on the Lord to be saved. If you need to come to the altar today, come to the altar. Don't wait. Don't let, don't let things get in your head. Come on down now. Let's talk to the Lord. If you need to bow your head, talk to the Lord. Lord, we just ask that you guide us in this invitation. In Jesus' name.